Philippians 15, verses 1 through 4. The resurrection of Christ. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. We're happy to be back. I uh, hope that uh, you've had a nice summer time, and now we're back in the fall. And I heard reports from our staff and from elders and deacons, as well as our guest preachers, that they really, uh, our guest preachers really enjoy being here. We're blessed by you to be be here. The ministry continues without me around, obviously, but continues so well is uh, is a good thing. So thank you for sending me on vacation. It is good to be back this Labor Day weekend. And let's keep in mind uh, to pray for those that are traveling, especially all those that are going to be on the road uh, traveling uh, home in the, in the coming days. So today, we sort of build it as a soft open, uh, kind of getting back in sync with a two-service schedule. That's why our service is, is, doesn't have as many here, but we're, we're still filled with the Spirit. Uh, next Sunday will really be our big kickoff, our grand opening back in Minnesota. We would call it Rally Day. That's the day that we hope everyone's back on track. Uh, everyone remembers what time the services start. I'll tell you, at 9.30, I was not in this room. I was down in the education wing, so I need to get back on track. Uh, next Sunday is going to be a wonderful uh, morning because we have uh, the deacons will be uh, our greeters uh, throughout the morning. And we have that picnic at 4 o'clock, so hope that you can join us for that. This month, it's my aim that we catch a vision for ministry and mission with our new denominational home called ECO, a covenant order of evangelical Presbyterians. There it is. Over the past two years, we have provided our congregation with a great deal of, of information about eco-Presbyterians. We've had town hall meetings, we've had handouts, we've had booklets. We flew in one of the key members of the leadership of this new denomination, uh, Jennifer Holt. She came and, and preached and spoke to us for about an hour and a half trying to answer all of our questions. The truth is, our connection to ECO goes way back, five years to its very in inception. Pastor Andy and I uh, were at the very first meeting of ECO, the national gathering of, of 2,000 church leaders from across the United States. Those that had already uh, felt God's call and prompting and were able to leave uh, the PCUSA, and those that were uh, not sure or were thinking about it or were in process, were all gathered together. And it was at that meeting that I caught the vision for what God was doing. N not, not in a new institution, not in a, let's just try to recreate the wheel, but, but in a movement of what God was doing five years ago. It's thriving today. T today, uh, eco-Presbyterians are made up of 
over 340 some odd, 350 congregations with, with 100 congregations like our own that are sort of in the pipeline, in the process of, of making that transition, over 500 pastors have, have joined it. So this is a very fast-growing movement. Now, now, I mentioned there's been a lot of information about uh, eco-Presbyterians that we've disseminated, but I've never spoken about it directly from the pulpit until today and this month. We really want to try to address the concerns, the questions, the insights that we've gleaned from you over this whole discernment process. So folks have asked me, will we still be Presbyterian? Well, yeah, there's, it's in the name. And we'll still be Nielsville Presbyterian Church. Uh, what, what does the acronym of ECO mean? Well, that's actually what our whole sermon series will be about this, this month. Another important question, this is raised by many of you, certainly by our elders, well, what difference will it make? Is it worth the cost? How will ECO help Nielsville fulfill our mission? How, how will it help us thrive as a church? These are great questions, uh, and as we're waiting on the Lord uh, to, to open that final door and making this move, I want to make sure that all of us are on the same page we have insights, we have understanding of what this looks like. Before turning uh, to Scripture, uh, let's define some terms. This, this word eco, as a word that we, we learn in school, it, eco has to do with environments. It's where we get the word ecology. Uh, ecology dealing with the, the relationships of, of different organisms within a physical surrounding. And so we have uh, ecosystems where, where life forms are, are, are to grow. In a healthy ecosystem, uh, they grow. An ecosystem can help filter out toxins. You think about the importance of having marshlands and, and having, you know, we call it swamps, but really that marshes are very, very important in our area, certainly in Houston. Think of the terrible effects of, of all that pavement that's there in Houston, all that marshland that could have absorbed some of this water with all that pavement everywhere, where does the water have to go except right into people's homes? And so ecosystems are incredibly important. Filtering out toxins, also providing rich resources so organisms can thrive. And in the Bible, the church, the local church expression of, of the body of Christ and the, the church universal is understood as an organism, as something that's living and thriving. And so that's the analogy of, of eco-Presbyterians. The mission of eco is to build or to help grow flourishing churches that make disciples of Jesus Christ. So eco as a movement is committed to cultivating a healthy, diverse resource-rich ecosystem where, where pastors and missionaries and congregations can flourish, where we can fulfill God's mission for us. And so at this early stage, five years in, it's not an institution. It's an association. It's a body. It's an order. That's a word we'll look at next week, order, that says our number one job as a national movement is to serve the local church not the other way around. Their mission fits hand in glove with our mission as a church. Our mission, Yieldsville, is to glorify God by being and making 
disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we finally are finding a fit with, with a group of Christians that are saying we're committed to helping Nielsville grow and thrive. So the name stands for Evangelical Covenant Order of Presbyterians or Covenant Order of Evangelical Presbyterians. Don't ask me. They had to mix the words up a, a little bit. Today we're going to start with E. E is for? Well, that was enthusiastic, but at least you're all on track with me. Yes. Now, the label evangelical has been batted around and, and redefined for centuries. We, we might think that it's just a, a, a new recent word that we see in, in the headlines, but it goes all the way back to the days of Luther and the Lutherans trying to distinguish uh, themselves as Reformed, uh, uh, Reformed Protestants uh, in comparison to, to Catholics. And that word got changed around back then and then changed a few hundred years again after that and again and again. And today, in the United States, there are plenty of caricatures of an evangelical Christian, aren't there? And think of how the culture around us would define what an evangelical Christian is. It means uh, that it uh, means being white, right-wing, fundamentalist, anti-science, Republican. That's the label. 30 years ago, David Hubbard, the third president of Fuller Seminary, that's the seminary where I went to school, the largest multi-denominational evangelical seminary in the world, thousands of students have gone through, he wrote this in his preface to the book titled, What We Evangelicals Believe. It's a good title for, for the series. I pulled that one off my shelf. He wrote in the preface, quote, the significance of the term evangelical has been twisted into a rope for ecclesiastical tug-of-wars. Uh, ecclesiastical has to do with in-church fighting. This tug-of-war. What does the term mean? What does it mean? And, and the, the word is kind of taken on a life of its own. And so, sure, there, there is something to these, these caricatures uh, of, of evangelical, but but that has not been my experience, although I, I am white. Uh, beyond that, the Christians that I've uh, run around with since I became born again and through seminary and, and in ministry and certainly throughout my Presbyterian experience and, and into this new denomination are Christians wanting to restore and redeem what is positive about this word. And there are those they're like-minded, I love and appreciate, who pragmatically say, you know what, the word is so loaded, I don't even want to use it anymore. And, and, and they're right to do that, and the ones that are trying to redeem it are right to do that. And, and that's sort of the camp that I find myself in. You know, this is a good word, let's not lose it. There's something good about it that we can dig into. Because the, the term evangelical, it comes from the Bible. It comes from the original Greek, uh, the evangel. Uh, the evangel is the gospel. So evangelism is sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. There's a sense of urgency and, and excitement that God can transform a person's life if they hear this good news and they respond to it in faith. That's, that's what it boils down to. How many of you remember Jeff, Jeff Foxworthy? Remember his jokes? You know you're a redneck if. Do you know these? You know, 
You know you're a redneck if, and, and then he fill in the blank. Well, you know that you're evangelical if you agree with these four statements I'm about to read to you. This was a, a nationwide survey of, of church leaders kind of across the board by the National Association of Evangelicals and, and LifeWay Research. It's been quoted from everything from the Atlantic uh, to the New York Times to Christianity Today as, as being the four statements that really help define as a package what evangelicals believe. Not necessarily all that we do, but let's get to what, what we focus on. So you might be an evangelical if you believe the Bible is the highest authority for what we believe, that it is very important for you personally to encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, that Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that can remove the penalty of sin, and fourth, uh, only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. Now, you may be sitting here and say, well, maybe two out of the four or one out of the four, I'm not sure about any of them. I'm glad you're here. Don't go anywhere. We're glad that you're here. But this is what would help sort of mark out the territory or the, the, the parameters, the corners of, of what evangelicals broadly believe and accept. Think about those four statements. In, in, in reality, ought all Christians be evangelical? The Bible is consistent in instructing Christ followers to be witnesses of the good news, is it not? To go and make disciples, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. To be his witnesses, Acts 1, verse 8. To, to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope in you, yet to do so in gentleness and respect, 1 Peter 3, 15. To love and to serve in Jesus' name, 1 John 4. Undoubtedly holding to these four statements and all the fundamental teachings of the faith will result in a certain worldview that will change your public life. It will inform your politics. But it, it is to be, and it certainly is at our church, nonpartisan. We do not pick sides. You've never heard of me tell you how to vote. That won't change. Our form of evangelicalism focuses on the gospel as it does for eco, not politics. That's behind us in our previous denomination of picking political parties and action statements. An evangelical Christian cares about the world around us, people that are lost, people that need help, it's about the kingdom of God coming to restore and bring new life. And so as we talk about this, this new vision, which isn't really new, but it's renewed, we talk about this vision for ministry and mission, we need to, this morning, think about what we're focusing that vision on. You think about things that you look, where are you looking in the room that you're going to focus on? Well, we're looking high. We're looking very high to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's where we finally return to the text that, that Hugh read, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 1 to 4, and, and beyond. But I just want to comment on this 
text just a little bit. Because Paul, the apostle, the church planter, the, the evangelist, is writing to a church in trouble. It's an ecosystem that needs some filtration. He, in his first letter to this church that he planted, he sees problem after problem that is really dividing this church and causing all kinds of, of issues. And here, right near the end of the book, he says, in order for you to flourish, church, you need to focus on what's your number one priority, what you received from me, in which you stand. That, that is to say, the thing that you've, you've based your church on, that you're, you're building a foundation on, and what is it? It's this. It's the very blessing of God Almighty to bring life into this ecosystem, into this church, if you hold fast. And so he, he runs through these major problems, and then he says here, what's of first importance? Quote, that Christ died for our sins. Now some of you are sitting here thinking, Pete, you know, I'm not in Sunday school because I learned that a long, long time ago. I don't need to do Sunday school. I'm here just to, to worship and let's move on. But, but let's get back to the basics. Christ died for our sins. The Bible says that God created Adam without sin in the good creation, and yet Adam and Eve, they, they chose their own way. And Adam was held to account for his sin, and he brought down all of humankind. But God, in his great love, sent a better Adam, Scripture says, who lived the perfect life that we could never live and died in our place. And so he says next, Christ died for our sins. On the cross. And so we hear words like atoning, that he atoned for the crimes committed, that he, he paid for our debts, that he absorbed in himself the wrath of God. And there are plenty of churches to say, you know, let's, let's move beyond that. Let's move past that. Let's get on to the, the, the nice, pretty words and, and, and promises of the gospel. But we need to remember why we are here and how we got here. And it's because he died on the cross for our sins. And then Paul says he was buried, uh, emphasizing the death of Jesus was, was real and final. He really died. He was really laid in a tomb. He, he identified with our humanity, his own, fully and completely. And then Paul writes that he rose on a Sunday, triumphant. And that's why we say uh, the, the gospel isn't good advice about how you're to, to live and how you're to get right with God. It's good news about what, what Christ has done for you and for the world. The, the, the headline, if there was a headline at that time, would be, and is still today, God has come into the world to save sinners. And, and then below the full, the, the subtitle would be, Believe, the King is here. Repent and follow your King. This is the gospel, the focus of our message, and out of that message, our, our ministries and, and our mission, and how important it is for a local church to be linked in arm in arm with other churches that say, this is the message, right? We don't have a different game plan, right? This is what we do, that we have a, an organization, a system, a, a, a national association that's above us that says, yeah, keep going. We're rooting you on. We have resources and training and support for you to keep doing that. We're planting churches with new leaders, young leadership under the age of 40, under the age of 30, who are spreading out and forming new little ecosystems 
that are focused on the same message. And so the dollars that you give to this mission, the investment we have of training people, I see in our future interns at this church where we would train hands-on in ministry after they've gone to seminary. That's fine. They get the book smarts, but then they get the street smarts, the ministry smarts, and they go out from this church and plant new churches. Can you see that? This church, our church, planting new churches. That's what I think is in our future. Here's the challenge. Do other people in your life, uh, unchurched friends, unbelievers, know without a doubt that you truly believe what you profess? Are you a carbon copy of the evangelical caricature we see out in our culture? Or are you in living color fixing your vision and your life on the holiness, the goodness, the love, truth, justice, authority, and mercy of God revealed in the good news of Jesus Christ? And out of that, are we to live in conviction and courage and compassion in the midst of a culture that is drifting more and more away from the truth. If you and I were accused of, of being evangelical Christians, would there be enough evidence to convict us? Now, if you're just checking out our church for the first time, or you're just coming back to church for the first time, you say, well, this is kind of a, a heavy message. I'm not sure what my convictions are, but lines up with this, that's okay. You're, you're coming in, you're like, oh gosh, was it 9.30 or 10? That's okay. We want you to come. We don't have all the answers, but we know the one that does. So I'm speaking here really to our, our core membership at this church. We are here not to be comfortable. We are here not to be surrounded by our little tribe. We are here not to simply agree on a nice message we've heard Sunday after Sunday and then to go home and to live our lives as if Sunday's coming, but the rest of the week is my own. We're here to worship the living God. We're here to experience and witness life change. We're willing to sacrifice our resources that God has entrusted to us to this end. We are here to be equipped and empowered to go forth with this good news. That's what it means to be evangelical. At least that's what I've got for you today. Next week we'll talk about the second word, order. Let's pray. Lord, it is an urgent uh, message that you've given to us, to the church. There are people in, in great need, oh God. People here in our church there, there are needs aplenty, oh God. There are people floundering. Think of the terrible floods in, in, in Texas and in Houston. Oh God, there's, there's a flood here in Montgomery County. Some of us are, are seeing the floodwaters rise and, and causing such disturbance internally in our lives and in our relationships and, and our stress about the future. So God, we, we, we know that we never outgrow the gospel. We never move beyond it. God, we, we want to turn our attention again to the good news that we first heard, some of us as children, some of us as college students. Lord, I know there's some in this room who, who heard it just, just this past year for the first time. You, you took the cotton out of our ears and we finally heard it 
through our ears and into our heart that we are loved and that you have a purpose for our lives. Guys, we come to your table now. I pray that, that you would invite us to receive this, these beautiful elements of your grace and that you would feed our souls today. And God, may we be a church that catches this, this new vision that we're not out here on our own, but we are connected to Christians across this land and even, Lord, across the pond, down to South America, Africa, Asia, all around. There's a revival happening, oh God. And we are so thankful and privileged that you would call us to be a part of it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, join me in the great Thanksgiving. It's in your bulletin and on the screen. The Lord be with you.